Are you a person of your word? Good. (laughs) Hearty yes right there. Uh, Do you keep your promises? You keep your promises. Two brothers, two brothers were getting ready to boil eggs. They were getting ready to boil eggs. And the older brother said to the younger brother, he said, uh, I'll give you a dollar. If you let me, if you let me break three eggs over your head, I will give you a dollar. And the younger brother said, promise. And the older brother said, promise. And the younger brother said, okay. So the younger brother, the older brother took the, uh, first egg and he gleefully smashed the egg on his brother's head. And then he took the second egg and he joyfully smashed that egg on his brother's head. And then he just stood there looking at him. And the younger brother said, when's the third egg coming? He says, it's not. That one would cost me a dollar. (laughs) Are you a person of your word? Some movie plots are based around dramatic promises. I will wait for you or I'll get my revenge or... As God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again, or I'll be back, (laughs) or I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too, or if you build it, he will come, or hear this now, I will always come for you, or... Come on, Charlie Brown. I'll hold the ball and you kick it. (laughs) Some promises aren't always kept in the movies, are they? On this first Sunday of Advent, our theme is hope. And I want to set before you the basis of our hope. The basis of our hope is our God who keeps his word. The basis of our hope is our God who keeps his word. God keeps his word. God is a promise-keeping God. He makes promises, predictions, and prophecies, and he fulfills them all. The Lord told Jeremiah, I watch over my word to accomplish it. I watch over my word to accomplish it. As an example, the book of Joshua records God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to take his people into the promised land. Towards the end of the book of Joshua, we read this. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their fathers. None of their enemies were able to stand against them, for the Lord had handed over all their enemies to them. None of the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. Everything was fulfilled. Everything was fulfilled. And I submit to you that that last verse there will also be true at the consummation, after the millennium, after Christ has come back, after the judgment, and we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we could also say none of the good promises the Lord had made to God's people failed. Everything was fulfilled. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19 says that God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. Does he speak and not act? Or promise and not fulfill? And the answer is no. He always speaks and, and acts according to what he says he will do. And he always fulfill, fulfills his promises. Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 885. Matthew chapter 1, page 885. 
One of the great promises that God made in various ways was that he would send a Messiah, an anointed one, a chosen one, the chosen one. He would send his people a savior. And all throughout the Old Testament, um, hints and details are given out as to who this Messiah would be. And of course, uh, living in history at the point in history where we do, we know who that Messiah was and is Jesus Christ, the son of God come in the flesh, taking on a human nature. Matthew chapter 1, let's look at what it has to say about Christ as Matthew introduces Christ. Verse 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon, and it goes on and on, descendant after descendant. Till we get to verse 6, Jesse fathered King David, then King David fathered Solomon by Uriah's wife. Solomon fathered Rehoboam, and it goes on. On down till you get to, uh, let's look at verse 15. Eliud fathered Eleazar. Eleazar fathered Methan. Methan fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah, 14 generations. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things... An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will give and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Look at that verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Of course, we could think of the all this as referring to this little snippet there from verses 18 to 23 about Joseph and Mary. But perhaps it's meant to be broader than that. We're to think of the whole chapter in this. Um, all this could be uh, uh, all these things. All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord. In other words, the Lord had his design on history, had his work in history, his providence set up in history so that even the whole genealogy of Christ from the time of Abraham on, the Lord was overseeing that in order to fulfill his promise to bring about the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ the Lord. God has his hand on history to fulfill prophecy. I want to look at some of the Old Testament prophets, uh, some of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus Christ the son of God. For instance, Genesis 22:18, the Lord says to Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. And of course, the Messiah what, what what he's saying here is eventually that the Messiah to come is to come through um Abraham. And we see in Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Further, the Messiah wasn't to come through Abraham's oldest son, Ishmael, but rather through Isaac, Genesis seventeen nineteen, 
Um, in Genesis 17, God had, uh, Abraham had said to God, if only you would bless my son Ishmael, because that was the only son that Abraham had at the time. He's close to 100 years old. If you only you would bless my son Ishmael. And the Lord says to him, chapter 17, verse 19, but God said, no, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his future offspring. In other words, Messiah was to come through Isaac. And in fact, we read there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac is in the line of Christ. And then a little bit later in Genesis, Genesis chapter 28, verse 14, the Lord is speaking to Jacob. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So again, the Lord is narrowing down um, who the ancestor of Christ will be. It's not Esau, the oldest born to Isaac, but rather it will be um, through Jacob. And we read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob is in the line of Christ. Now, Jacob had how many sons? Twelve. Jacob had 12 sons, and it wouldn't have been surprising for Messiah to have come through the the oldest-born son, Reuben, or to have come from the line of the favorite son, Joseph. But in fact, um, God had different designs that he was going to come through the fourth-born son, Judah. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belong to him. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, we see that Judah is in the line of Christ as well. Well, we're not going to work through all 42 names here uh, to see all these, uh, how all these worked out in Scripture. Um, but I just want you to see that the Lord, uh, from the beginning, he has made promises. He made promises to Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Judah. And he's kept, and he, he's kept his promises that the Messiah would descend through them. Look at Second Samuel chapter 7. The Lord speaking through the prophet Nathan to uh, King David. He says, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will be a, he will build a house for your, for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Um, the immediate prospect was Solomon. David's son Solomon would sit on the throne. But the idea that the kingdom would be established forever, that was going to come through someone else. So Messiah was to be a descendant of King David as well. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Or in verse 5, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. King David was in the line of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. We're told that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, which is um, open in your laps, I assume. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. The Lord also prophesied where 
the Messiah was to be born. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you uh, to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. Look at Matthew chapter 2, next page. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of, days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. The prophet had prophesied from the Lord that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And the Jews knew this. The Jewish leaders knew this, and they informed King Herod of that fact. And in fact, Christ was born in Bethlehem. In fact, there was discrepancy. There, there was argument about Jesus being the Messiah. If you look at, uh, I think it's in John chapter 7, some people didn't believe that Jesus could possibly be the Messiah because they felt they thought he had been born in Nazareth. And they knew the prophecy said that he had been born in Bethlehem. So the Lord God has prophesied through what line the Messiah is to come. He's prophesied where Messiah is to be born. <clears throat> he's, proph- he's made known where uh, that he's to be born of a virgin. He also makes known in the prophet Hosea that he would that the Messiah would spend some time in Egypt. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Look at Matthew chapter two, verse uh, thirteen. After the uh, wise men had gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son." And on and on it goes. Matthew, for instance, goes on to point out various other things that God prophesied and promised about the Messiah in the Old Testament. And he points out how those prophecies and promises were fulfilled in Jesus. For instance, Matthew points out in Matthew chapter 3 that the Old Testament had prophesied that there would be a forerunner before the Messiah. And Matthew says that forerunner was John the Baptist. Uh, Matthew points out in chapter 4 that the Messiah would minister and get that the Old Testament said that Messiah would minister in Galilee. And he points out in Matthew chapter 4 how he did that. The Old Testament indicated that Messiah would have a, a, a miraculous ministry, a ministry of miracles, of healings and exorcisms and so forth. And Matthew points out that scripture was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 8. He points that out, how Jesus did that. The Old Testament indicated that Messiah would minister to Gentiles. That he would be brought, it wouldn't just be a Jewish Messiah, it would be a Messiah who would minister to all. And uh, Matthew points out in Matthew chapter 12 how Jesus did that in fulfillment of prophecy. The Old Testament indicated that Messiah would speak in parables. 
And Matthew points out in chapter 13 that that's exactly what Jesus did in fulfillment of prophecy. The Old Testament said that Messiah would come to Jerusalem in righteousness and humility, riding on a donkey. And he did on Palm Sunday. And Matthew points out that that was fulfillment of Scripture in chapter 21. The Old Testament indicated that Messiah would not just be a descendant of David, but he would also be greater than David. And he was, and he is. And Matthew points that out in Matthew chapter 22. All of this, Matthew points out that God prophesied with regards to Messiah, and these all came true. And this list isn't even exhaustive for the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew points out other things as well. God keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And therefore, we can have hope that what God says about the future is true for us as well. One pastor was witnessing to a Jewish man who said he didn't believe in Christ. And, of course, this, this Jewish man was a good Jew in the sense that he, he believed his scriptures, and his scriptures were the Old Testament, uh, but not the New Testament. So this pastor asked him if he could read him some things that different people had written. And then he, he said, I'm going to read some things that different people have written, and then I want you to tell me uh, who was who, who being talked about by what these people have to say. And the Jewish man agreed, and so this is what the pastor read. He himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him, since he takes pleasure in him. To Galilee of the nations, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Even my friend, in whom I trusted, one who ate my bread, has raised his heel against me. Then I said to them, if it seems right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Throw it to the potter, the Lord said to me, this magnificent price I was valued by. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw it into the house of the Lord. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. They pierced my hands and my feet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. He was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. They will look at, they will look at me whom they pierced. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man at his death. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You ascended to the heights, taking away captives. You received gifts from people. The nations will seek him. And when the pastor then was done reading all these, he asked the Jewish man, who are these people talking about, do you think? And the Jewish man said, obviously, they're talking about Jesus. So what? And the pastor told him, all these things I just read you are texts from the Old Testament. They're straight out of the Old Testament. The same Old Testament that was completed 400 years before Christ ever came on the scene. And you just told me that it's obvious that these verses were talking about Jesus Christ. And the Jewish man was stunned, and he demanded to see the passages himself in his Old Testament. 
This man wasn't wasn't amazed by the fact that God kept his word. He was amazed by how detailed the prophecies were and how specifically they pointed to Jesus Christ. He was stunned by how obviously all these Old Testament predictions were about Jesus and they couldn't be about anyone else. How many prophecies are there in the Bible that are fulfilled by Jesus Christ? Uh, it, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah, all the prophecies in the Bible. <laughs> right, there you go. Second uh, Corinthians 1 says something like, uh, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. So thank you, Kelvin. I was looking for a number. <laughs> um, I, I, it depends on how you count them. One, one author says uh, there are 60 major messianic prophecies and approximately 270 ramifications. I don't even know what that means, what the 270 ramifications are. Another writer says uh, there are 333 predictions concerning the Messiah that were fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know how they count these. I haven't seen the lists. But suffice it to say that there are a significant number of prophecies that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Um. Some people say, uh, some people who don't believe in God um, say, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's just a coincidence that Christ fulfilled all these prophecies. Well, that seems to be a mathematical impossibility. Uh, according to one mathematician, the odds of just eight, prophety, pro- prophecies, eight prophecies um, being fulfilled in one person uh, by coincidence is, is one in ten to the 17th power. Okay, so we're thinking about just eight prophecies um, being coincidentally fulfilled in one person. The probability of that happening would be one in ten to the seventeenth power. That's a it's a one with seventeen zeros after it. And if Google is correct, that 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 number is one hundred quadrillion. One hundred quadrillion, which is a little bit more than a thousand. <laughs> um, and the math, this mathematician. Uh, tried to get, tried to illustrate what this means, what this means. And he said, imagine that we had 100 quadrillion silver dollars, okay? Imagine we had 100 quadrillion silver dollars and we laid them across the state of Texas, okay, all over the state of Texas. For one thing, if you had 100 quadrillion uh, silver dollars and you laid them across Texas, um, and you evened them out, leveled them out. It would be there would be it would be uh, two feet di- uh, deep across Texas. Okay, two feet deep of of, of these silver dollars. And then um, someone takes a sharpie and marks one of those silver dollars. Okay, you just mark one of those silver dollars and you lay it down in the state of Texas. And then you get the I don't know your KitchenAid or whatever, and you mix and you stir the whole thing. Okay, all those silver dollars. And then you blindfold someone, you blindfold someone, and you send them into Texas, send them walking into Texas, and they can walk wherever they want to, and they can stop whenever they want to, but they can only pick up one silver dollar. The odds of them picking up the silver dollar with the mark on it are the same odds of one person fulfilling eight prophecies, um, uh, coincidentally fulfilling eight prophecies, um, so it's it's highly unlikely that Jesus just happened to luck out and fulfill these some 200 and 300 prophecies. God wasn't guessing. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. 
He knows the future. He's omnipotent, all power. He made the future. The odds of God being right about the future are one in one. In one. The odds of God fulfilling his promises, promises are one in one. So what does this mean? <clears throat> this, is, <clears throat> this may sound all com- very complicated. It's not complicated. I'm trying to show you that there, there have been many prophecies made about Christ by God. They have all been fulfilled thus far. And therefore, you can have hope in God. You can put your hope in God. That what he says about the future and what he says about now is true. King David said, I long for your salvation. I put my hope in your word. I long for your salvation. I put my hope in your word. God keeps his word. Therefore, put your hope in him. Trust his word. Trust his promises. But in order to trust his word, in order to trust his promises, you got to know it. you got to read it. you got to study it. you got to know it. There are some people in my life um, that I automatically trust and believe. And there are other people who come into my life that I'm, I'm, I'm automatically skeptical of. <laughs> and uh, I need to check it out. And I'm guessing there are people like that. There are both sets of kinds of people in your life as well. People that, by default, you automatically believe them. You automatically trust them. And there are others where, um, as soon as they make you a promise or say anything, uh, you're wondering, yeah, I need to check that out. I'm telling you that God should fall into that first category for you. That you can absolutely trust Him. You can absolutely trust His Word. Because God has been faithful to keep his word in the past, you can trust him to keep his word in the future. You can trust him to keep his word in the future, and that's where our hope lies. I just want to share with you, as we close out, just some promises, um, a sampling of promises in the New Testament. For instance, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. Romans 8.28, We know that all things, that, uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Luke twelve eight, I say to you, Jesus speaking, I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. Romans ten eleven to 13, now the scriptures say, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive. Philippians 1, 6, he who started a good work in you will, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, 30, um, 31 to 33. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. 
I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So there will be suffering, but there will be peace as well. Hebrews 13.5, this is a good one. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? First John 3, 2, Dear children, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. This one's a little bit longer. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who are asleep. In other words, those who have died, those who have died in Christ before us. So that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by a revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in the Lord. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's the promise. There's a promise that our, our, our believing loved ones who have gone ahead of us, we will see them again. They will be raised from the dead. Then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And then a final one from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Whoops. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Uh, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. That's a great promise. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Because the reality is, you know, when we consider the promises of God, there's the good promises, but there are also the promises for those who don't believe in the Lord Jesus, and those equally will be fulfilled, as will the good promises. So summing up, God keeps his word. What he said about the Messiah all came true in Jesus Christ. What he says about the future will also come true. Therefore, put your hope in God and in his word. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for for he who promised is faithful. God has made many promises to believers, and he will keep them all. So you can trust him. You should follow him. You should align your life with his son, Jesus Christ. Hope in God who keeps his word. We're going to pray together and then we're going to sing a song about um, the Lord's word, about the firm foundation that we have in God's word.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we praise you because you are a faithful God and because you, are, because you always keep your word. There is not one promise that you have broken or will ever break. There is not one statement um, of fact that you have uttered that will not or has not been true. We can always trust in you. We can always bank on you. The, you know, Two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Well, there's something that's even more certain than that, and that is your word. Father, it's my prayer that everyone in this room would, would rest, would bank on your word, would trust in your word with absolute 100% confidence and glean much hope and encouragement from it. Help us to be people who study your word and rely on your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.